Today I'd like to ask a question. Question straightforward. Do you feel special? That's an interesting way to bring it up, but that's really what comes about today. Do you feel special? This is something that uh, we can apply towards our daily routines, if I can word it that way. I, I came across somebody recently that made a comment to me. And the comment to me was this. I need a new Bible because mine's outdated. That's an interesting comment. You can see where it's coming from. Uh, as it was a, a not a heated conversation because I didn't want to get into the conversation with the individual. But you need a new Bible because mine's outdated. Well, that's an interesting conversation piece as we get into today's sermon, the topics that we're going to talk about today. Beliefs this time of year, I guess, uh, putting it in different terms, our beliefs this time of year obviously don't correspond to what we see in the world, do they? As we heard some interesting statements here earlier, but you take a look at it and say how different we are from what we see in the world today. How our conversations, this situation, go a step beyond that. If I can state it this way, how we as a church, as a body, in this situation differ from how we used to think. Uh, not so much we used to think. But you take an individual, you take some individuals that used to keep God's truth and how they justify changes or advancement. It's an interesting statement. Why are you special? What I bring in today, what I ask. I have a question to ask as well. How did man become so arrogant? You'll understand what I mean as I get deeper into the subject today. But how? Brethren, we ask ourselves a straightforward question. True obligation. What is our true obligation? Let's turn to Matthew 23. Something was wanting to be said here by the God of the Old Testament, Jesus Christ himself. I just want to clarify a couple things. I just want to point out a couple things. Recently, what spurned this sermon? Let me just get straight forward. What spurned this sermon is I received some emails from somebody that used to stand with us and used to walk with us. And the individual's statement basically towards me was, I cannot change. You, you have left God's church, and I cannot change. I cannot have contact with you because of what you've done, me personally. That's an interesting conversation, because let me, as I read the Bible, this outdated thing, as somebody different said, stated, as I read the Bible, that's not what it says at all. It's not accurate. It's not how we should be. It's not how we should act or interact. So that's what I'm going to cover today in our conversation. Matthew 23, let's begin in verse number 1. And you can read all of Matthew 23, but I'm just going to hit some highlights. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. What's, what, what are we looking at here? All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after the, their works, for they, and they do not. <clears throat> but they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on the men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers, but all their works they do for to be seen of men. Are you special, brother? It's a pretty serious conversation. Because you have a situation here, what's, what's at stake? And do we forget that? Are you special? Why were you called? Why? Why were you given that calling when how many billions of people are in the world? Luke 7. Let's get into the topic today. Before I get into three questions that I'm going to ask you, I'm going to cover a couple different segments of material. Luke 7, begin at verse number 6. Luke 7 and verse 6. Then Jesus went with them, and when he saw, and when, and when he was, now, not, <clears throat> not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldst enter under my roof. What's being stated here? You have an individual as we get into it a little more. Look at the attitude. And this is what I guess that when I read that email, this is not the attitude that we've seen. But how are we? Are we any different? Under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. Just say it. That's all it takes. 
For I also am a man that, uh, set under authority, having under me soldiers, that I may say unto me, Go, and he goeth, and another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. And Jesus heard these things. This is the Creator, our Creator. And what did he do when he heard these things? He marveled at them. You want to impress God Almighty? Take a look at what's going on here. Take a look at the attitude adjustment that we really have to have. Do we, brethren, in this situation, respect our relationship with Christ? Do we go into it every day with the right attitude? Do we? This is a question we need to ask ourselves. In this situation, who is man to question or rationalize what God has given? Way too often, we're too soft on what we should be doing. That's what the subject's about today. What is man to esteem himself and esteem himself in this situation in such a fashion? You know, <clears throat> you think about it. You step out. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny. I was listening to some stories before services started about what we go through just to take advantage of what God set before us. But on the other side of the fence, I guess I look at it this way. Look at all the things that are attributed to this individual, this being. How great he is. How we look at our body and we take certain elements just to try to repair it. Who created those elements? Who created the body to repair it? That can be repaired. How far off we from the mark, I guess is the question I'm going to ask. Turn to Job. What is man? What is man? Job, actually, uh, this isn't a new question. Let's turn to Job 7. Begin at verse number 17, where Job asks the same question. And look at the statements that follow what I'm about to read here. What is man? Job 7, verse 17, begin at 17. What is man that thou shouldest magnify him? What are we? Who are we to be arrogant? That thou shouldest set thine heart upon him, and thou shouldest visit him in every morning, and try, and try him every moment. What is man? This question has been asked many years. Paul quoted David in Hebrews. Let's turn it over to Hebrews. Hebrews 2 and verse number 5. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 8 because it asks this question. What are we? Who are we? And how arrogant we are to elevate ourselves in different fashion. Hebrews 2 and verse number 5. For unto the angels hath thou not put in subjection in the world to come. Wherefore we speak, but one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man, that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man, that thou visits him? Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, thou hast crowned him with glory, and honor, and honor, and disset him over the works of thy hands. And thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all into, uh, into subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see, not yet all things put under him. What are we, brethren? What is man? How do you feel about your calling every day you wake up? It's kind of interesting as I'm sitting there checking, and I talk to a customer, and they sit there and say, I say, how's your day going? Terrible. It brings a terrible day. Can we have those? You know that everything is caused, everything is brought to play by him. He allows it to happen. How's your feeling? As you address these issues, how do you come to play? What type of power are we dealing with here? And how we limit him? Let's turn to Isaiah. Let Isaiah cover this very well with what he says, states here. Isaiah 40. i got a lot of material to cover, and I'm going to pick the pace up a little bit. Isaiah 40, we'll begin in verse number 13. Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord? Who? Our being his counselor has taught him. Who taught God? Who has that authority? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him in knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of the bucket. You take a look at how great we think we are. You take a look at the arrogance of men, and we see it even in the last, let's just say, month and a half. You see a lot of human arrogance, a lot of pride on TV. Who are we? We forget what realm we fall into. 
Do we? Do we get tied up into it ourselves? The nations are as a drop of the bucket and are counted as small dust of balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. Nothing. That's the power you're dealing with. It. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast there are sufficient for the burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing. And they are counted to him less than anything. And vanity. Verse 18. To whom then will ye liken God? Or what likeness will ye compare unto him? Get the feeling of smallness. Makes you special. Think about a situation here where all nations are nothing. And how arrogant we really are. There are two extremes here. And two extremes I guess I'd like to identify with. One. How do we react? God's way. That's how we're supposed to. And there's another side of the fence. Obviously, it's the adversary's way. Satan the devil. You have one of two choices every time you get up in the morning. You have one of two choices every time you face that op option that's available before you. To do right or to do wrong. Don't you? Think about what's behind both sides. God's way or the devil's way. Esteeming God in the situation in proper position. If you esteem God to his proper level, what's that going to do to you and your arrogance and your attitude? You're going to become humble. Take a look at what I started, my first, <clears throat> what we first turned to in Matthew 23. Where do people stand? Where's their arrogance? Natural ability to rise. We want to be greater. Nobody wants to be a servant. Doesn't happen anymore, does it? The arrogance of man. What does God say for us, brother? What does he tell us to do? You can either turn to Luke 4.4 4 or Matthew 4.4. 4. Every word. You shouldn't live by bread alone, but every word which proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We take a look at society which we live in today. You take a look at what you see. And the good example is what Somebody made a statement. Your Bible's outdated. Is it? There's nothing in this book, nothing, that cannot repeat itself today. Is there? It happens over and over again. Yet we look at ourselves in our own personal perspective, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to attack our own personal perspective and different, different, different traits that way. I guess I have a question over and over again. Do we take it serious anymore? That email I received obviously was disturbing because it was a close friend. Still consider a close friend. But I look at this and say, human arrogance has a lot to say about the power of how we react, doesn't it? Are we wanting to esteem ourselves in that fashion? If I would give this, term, uh, this sermon a title, actually giving this sermon a title, how is our relationship to God? you feel comfortable about it? Ask yourself the secondary question. Do we see how special this calling is? And do we take it for granted? What's our relationship? Understand a few things when we relate this. We will all be held accountable for what? For what we know. Let's turn to Romans 2. Romans 2 and verse 11. For there is no respect of persons with God. It doesn't matter who you are. You need to come to the party. For as many, verse 12, for as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. We're going to be held accountable for what we know, brethren. How much do you know? Isn't that a question? Have you not been taught the law? Do we not look at it from that fashion? First John. You know, it's interesting. Years ago, when we seen other people fall away, if we can word it that way, fall away. Let's just say, break away from the group, however you want to word it. I remember standing with this individual that emailed me the other day. And their statement to me was, it's just a pity. It's just a sad situation. When will it end? Think our adversary is going to be sleeping? Think he's done with us? You know, we made that comment before, but it just amazes me. When I see the arrogance... And the attitudes kick in how we can all be vulnerable 
by just opening the door, allowing it. 1 John 2 and verse 28. And now, little children, abide in that when he shall appear. Major statement. How are we going to be? He shall appear. We may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. What's going to cause shame, brethren? Is this going to be for the people that didn't know any better? This is for us. Are we preparing now? Are we doing what we need to be doing? And if you know that he is righteous, and you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. What does that tell us we need to do? What is righteousness? Psalms 172. What does it say? All thy commandments. Second thing we need to know. This world's blind. We're not, are we? We're going to be held accountable. We know this world's blind. They're not going to be held accountable at the same level we are. How many billions of people have never heard the word of Jesus Christ? Never even heard the name? Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. Begin in verse number 1. But you have ye quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of the wor this world, according to the prince, uh, prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. What are we talking about here? Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You know, you look at the situation and say, we understand how it is in the world. We understand what God has actually allowed us to come out of. Do you feel special? Or do we abuse it? 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse number 2. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, walking in craftiness, and are handling the word of God deceitfully. But by manifesting the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them which are lost. Lost means perishing, not lost <clears throat> itself. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. They're not going to be held at the same level you are. It's amazing how I see the comments by the people of this world. What type of example do we set before them? You know, something amazing is this, though. I made the comment of arrogance. Where do you think the arrogance comes from? Is it from Christ? When he came, all he showed was sacrifice. The arrogance is obviously from the other being. Isaiah 14. Before we get into the three questions I'm going to ask today. Isaiah 14 and verse number 12. How, thou, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, and did weakest the nations? But that thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into the heavens, and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit upon the mount of the congregation on the sides of the north, and I will ascend above the heights of the cloud, and I will be like the Most High. How many times have we heard the conversation, if I can word it this way? You know, you've heard Mr. Clark make the statement, and I know we've all heard it ourselves. I know what the Bible says, but I believe this way. You know the amazing part? Most of that's coming now from people that used to know the truth. You find that? I know what the Bible says, but I think we need love. I think we need to add that other part. There wasn't enough love. You know, I word this because it's coming from my brother. Worldwide, Church of God. Heavy astounding. I know what the Bible says, but I believe this. Number three, <clears throat> separates us. What separates us is because we're not blind. Matthew 7. Matthew 7 and verse number 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which buildeth his house upon a rock. We've heard this before. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Doesn't quiver, doesn't change, 
doesn't move. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened to the foolish man which buildeth his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. What do you think it is when Christ sees somebody fall off the ladder, if you want to put it that fashion? What does it say when they come to repentance? How many angels are joy and joy? Are we different? Have we built a foundation? You need to ask these questions. Romans 2. Romans 2 and verse number 25. For circumcision verily profits if it keep, if it keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if, the, if uncircumcision keepeth the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? Illustration here. And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter of the circumcision doth transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is outwardly, neither is he circumcision, but is outward in the flesh. The key right here in verse 29. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is in the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Holding fast. We understand our obligation. We look at what's around us and we take a look at the tribulation, if I can word it that fashion. We take a look at the adversities we're going to face right now. It's happening. It will happen. Every word of God should be our ambition. Do we, brethren, understand God's law? Let me say, it was interesting getting a letter from Australia. I didn't have access to that. I didn't read it. But that was pretty moving to me. Because how many sheep are out there? you can word it that fashion. How many people are the same as us that are thinking, that actually know God's truth, that God has made a calling? Think about yourself. You think about what you have a chance to be part of. We don't give it enough weight. We don't. We take it too lightly. But we need to understand. Do we, brethren? I'd say we do. Today I'm going to ask three questions. I'd like you to personally ask these situations and how do they affect yourself. I want you to look at it from a different fashion, too. When Christ approached the Pharisees, what did he say to them? First thing he says, woe unto you. You do this, yet you say this. You judge these, yet you don't do it yourself. Right? These three questions fall on the same lines as what I believe Christ asked. I'd like you to look at them that way. Personally, are we doers? Are we hearers of the law? That's the first question. We need to apply that. Second question is, have we made ourselves judges? Think about what Christ said to these Pharisees. And more than that, point number three in the third question, have we set the proper examples? I received email that prompted the sermon, if I can word that fashion. You look at it in this situation and you ask yourself the point. Those three things. Have we? Psalms 36. To answer these three questions. The book of Psalms. A verse I thought applied itself very well here. Psalm 36 and verse number 12. There are the workers of iniquity fallen. And they are cast down and shall not be able to rise. Where are we at, brother? Where do we stand? Where does this stand in this situation with, I know what the Bible says, but this is what I believe. Will that fly in the situation on Judgment Day? How about our tongues? Do we control our tongues? What does God say about these last days? Let's turn to Romans, book of Romans 3. Romans 3 and verse number 10. As is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. You put yourself in a situation of arrogance. There is none that is understandeth and none that seeketh after God. There is, they are all gone out of the way and are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And their throat is an open scepter, and their tongues they have used deceit, and the poison of asps is under their lips, 
whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And they know, <clears throat> and the way of peace have they not known. All comes down to verse number 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. How do you, this situation, I guess, looking at these three principles, how do we decide? Where do we, where do we come into play? The difference between what Christ set the example and what we've seen in Isaiah with Satan the devil, what is it really? What we see in the world today. What can you give me, not what can I give you? Very rarely do you see people go the other way. How can I contribute? How can I help? That's what makes something special. That's what God actually is working towards. And that's really when all, all is said, what are we overcoming here? We're all overcoming our own egos, our own ideals, our own, uh, if I word it this way, selfishness. Our own vices. Using God's Holy Spirit in this situation. Utilizing it. Let's answer these three questions. Are we doers of God's law? Is that a question you can answer with all honesty? That's not what we just read in Romans. We all fall short. This is a continued lifetime battle we're going to be overcoming. It's not something that's just going to come to you. Are we doers? Do you apply every word in this situation as a yardstick for your life? I said I mentioned this book, Samuel Baki. I guess that's what the right representation. I first opened this book, and as I opened it, my wife can tell you I got heated. I, I had very few things. I mean, the election didn't do anything for me. But I started reading some of this stuff, and I got heated. I got a little excited. Um, and actually, it was so excited, I said, open the open the uh, wood stove. This thing's going in. I was mad. And then Kelly says to me, she said, my darling wife of wisdom, she says to me, she says, why don't you do a sermon on it? Why don't you take it in there, read it, and do a sermon? I said, why would I waste my time with this? This doesn't make sense. It just shows up on my doorstep. I thought at first when I started reading it that it was uh, from somebody at work. Because it was disproving the Sabbath. That's not what it is at all. As I took it downstairs and I get there and I started reading, what it's quoting is it's quoting the, it's actually supportive of the Sabbath. It's under crossfire quote. But what it's, what it's stating is this. It states, this is what the Pope said in 98, his tour, whirlwind tour. And more than that, this is what the worldwide Church of God is now teaching. So now I got intrigued. So I got highlights, and I don't highlight books just because either. So I'm going to read you some things out of this. The Worldwide Church of God formulates the argument by means of six heretical statements. There are several things that Genesis does not tell us. It does not say that humans rested. It does not say that humans were told to follow God's example. It does not say that humans were told to rest. It does not say that God taught Adam and Eve on the Sabbath. It does not say that God created the Sabbath. It does not say that humans kept the Sabbath. Dale Radcliffe uses the same argument, saying there is no command, uh, there is no command for mankind to rest on the Genesis account. And the list goes on. I tell you, I was boiling. I was pretty upset when I was getting into this. So you turn the pages, and then I get the author's surmise, if I can word it this way, the author. The theologian who locked himself in a basement, if you read the whole thing, it tells you. Let me tell you something. I got a lot of this book. Whoever sent it to me, I do thank you. Because nothing else, my blood pressure was up and I got some blood circulating. None of the Ten Commandments are ever mentioned in Genesis. This is the author. This isn't the worldwide church of God. Okay. I'm not going any more than that. I might, I might do more with that book later. Is that an accurate statement? Does it state, does it come out and actually tell us, thou shall not kill, thou shall not? Let me tell you something. The difference between what we know and what the world looks at, if I can word in this fashion, you don't just take the words. You take the context, the entire structure of what we understand. We take that for granted, brethren. We know that. You get in a biblical conversation with somebody, you know right away if it's accurate or not. I think the statement, John 7, 17, I think that's what was quoted, was right on the mark. Right? Let's find out. Let's just, let's just have some fun with this. I think they're obviously ignoring Hebrews 13.8 where it says, same today, or yesterday, today, and forever. 
Isn't this the same Jesus Christ we're talking about? The same God? No longer keep the Ten Commandments. The author tells us it's not found in Genesis. The Ten Commandments aren't found. Well, this Bible that's outdated, if I want to word it that way, which obviously isn't outdated. People try to justify their own activity, what God placed before them. Look at, let's look at the Ten Commandments in Genesis. Turn to Exodus 20. Let's first pick it up. Exodus 20 and verse number 13. And you can actually find all Ten Commandments referenced before. We're just going to cover some highlights. Pretty specific. <clears throat> Exodus uh, 20 and verse 13. Thou shalt not kill. Is that advocated in Genesis? Let's turn to Genesis 4, verse 7. Now, if you get to verse 6, you could kill the Tenth Commandment as well. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy continence fallen? We understand the situation. Was he coveting what took place with his brother? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and he came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. What did God say here? Okay, I can live with that. The Ten Commandments are talked about in Genesis. Exodus 20 and verse 14. And thou shalt not commit adultery. Let's turn to Genesis 39. Was it a sin, brethren, to commit adultery? Genesis 39 and verse number 9. You pick this up with Joseph. Obviously, I'm just touching highlights. And there is none greater in this house than I. Joseph's making the statement. I neither hath he kept back anything from me, from, from me but thee, to the wife, Potiphar's wife. Because thou art his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Does it say, thou shalt not commit adultery? Did they acknowledge it was sin before? I find it an error in a situation where it doesn't talk about the Ten Commandments. Just an example. Exodus 20 and verse 15. Thou shalt not steal. Genesis 30. Genesis 30 and verse 33. So shall my righteousness answer for me in time to come, when it shall come for my hire before thy face. And this is the situation... If Obviously, all these, Jacob and Laban, you need to read the art, read it itself in context. And every one that shall not be speckled and spotted among the goats, the brown among the sheep, that shall be counted stolen with me. Was it the concept of stealing? Was it an accepted practice? Exodus 20 and verse 16. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Genesis 20 and verse 9. Obviously, I'm just doing this for premise, just to prove a point. Genesis 20 and verse 9. Genesis 20 and verse 9. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, Why hast thou done unto us? Uh, unto us? And what have I offended thee? What have I offended thee? That thou hast brought on me and my kingdom a great sin. And thou hast deeds unto me that ought not be done. What is he talking about there, brother? He said he was a sister. Bearing false witness. How about coveting? Go back to Genesis <clears throat> or Exodus 20, verse 17. Thou shalt not covet, covet thy neighbor's house, or thy, thy neighbor's wife, etc. Let's go to Genesis 6. We pick up the simple statement in verse number 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, the daughters were born unto them. And the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and they were fair. What were they doing? And they were fair. And they took them wives, and all, and all which they chose. How about references outside of Genesis, concerning Genesis, that, that reproved the Ten Commandments, that proved that they were actually in appliance before Moses? How about Joshua 24? Exodus 20, verse 3, states, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Was that seen to be a problem? Turning to Joshua. Joshua 24 and verse number 2. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your father dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. Was there a problem? 
You sit there and take a look at the theologians of today. Do you realize what you got? Do you realize what you understand? It's amazing. It's amazing to think that you can actually sit there and the Holy Spirit's going to move you one way or the other to know it's error or not, isn't it? What an opportunity. The point is, the old theologians today look at the Word. You look at the context. What's behind it? God says the Holy Spirit will move you to understand the truth. Do you believe it? Take a look. Understanding the Hebrews, you know, I guess the major point comes this way. Understanding in Hebrews 13.8, he's not going to change. What's being stated is the same. The comment about my Bible is not going to ever change. This is the Word of God. This is the truth. There's no change in it. There's no illustration. I don't need an update. This is for life. More than that, it'll be for the world tomorrow. Think about what we're doing here. <clears throat> we never asked in this situation the option. Are we doers of the law? That's the question we need to come to here. The first question <clears throat> relates to our activity personally. Are we doers? It doesn't relate to me and you. Am I fulfilling what I need to be fulfilling? Do we understand it? That's the point. That's the point of number one. First question, that's exactly what it relates to. Men today, they justify things to fit their own beliefs. That's what I see. You can't. You've been given the example to follow. You've been told what to do. That's where you're at. You have no options. You have one option to follow. That's the biblical situation we need to take into effect. What makes you special, brethren? Obviously, this is something we need to come to. James, what makes you special? James 2 and verse number 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. He that said, do not commit adultery, and also said, do not kill. If thou commit no adultery, and yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. What makes you special? You're not looking at things just in words. You look at the context behind it as well. Luke 11. Luke 11 and verse number 37. And as he spake, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him. And he went in and he sat down to meet. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. And the Lord said unto him, Now do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, which your inward part is full of it, raving and wickedness. Ye fools, did not he that made that which is without make that which is within also? But rather give alms of such things as ye have, and behold, all things are clean unto you. Point straightforward. Have we made ourselves in this situation clean? Have we made ourselves blameless? That's what it means. Clean. Upon Christ's return, have we done what we need to do? Are we doers? Titus 1. Titus 1, and verse number 13. The witness is true, wherefore, wherefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. And to the pure all things are pure, but unto them which are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God. Interesting statement there. They profess they know God, but in their works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient to every good work, retrobate. Defiled means to stain, to contaminate, to pollute. Do we allow that? They say a little leaven goes a long ways. Take a look at some of the things that take place in our lives. You see a little leaven. And how it can expand and grow. Are we doers, brethren? What makes us special in God's sight? Romans 2. Romans 2 and verse number 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Matthew 7. Matthew 7 and verse number 21. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, this is a pretty interesting statement here, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils? 
and in thy name done many wonderful works. Look at all these miracles that were performed. I guess the premise comes this way. What was Christ's response? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you work, ye that work iniquity. And the premise and why I'm throwing it in there is this. We need to be doers. We understand the law. We've been given what's been given. We understand what's been put before us. Yet I ask the question day by day in our daily routines. Do we live it? You know, do we think we are? How do we know? How do we know God, First John? How do you know God? First John 5 and verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Son is born, <coughs> Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begot loveth him also that is begotten of him. But this we know, that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God. We keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. Not only do you love Him, but you actually follow through in a different fashion. There's no pain involved. You understand what's coming. Are we doers? What's our attitude while we keep them? That's what this is asking us. Number two, and question number two. We're not here to judge others. That's not our premise. Judgment, judgment's made not by us. I understand some situations, you know, and I'd be the first to state it. If somebody asks me, I want to state the truth. That's not judging, but you're, you are to, you are in the situation to defend the truth, our belief. But the point straightforward, you don't judge their belief or their concepts. Do we discern in this situation others? Others' beliefs? Do we try to? That's the job of God's Holy Spirit. It's not ours. We don't do that. Someone sent me a book. I don't know why. I don't know who it was. I'm sure it'll probably get on the tape and they'll say, oh, it was me. It was good to read because I don't get into what's worldwide's teaching now. But isn't it amazing? I mean, it is amazing to me that we can look at this and say, what a change that organization has taken. We have to write a letter to somebody in Australia that came about later, that God obviously has opened his eyes to later. You think about that letter and what's being stated in it. This is why Pentecost was changed. This is what was really behind it. Why you, brother? There's 150,000, if I can use the terminology, people out there still searching. Why did you? Why are you the ones he chose? What makes you special? Matthew 7, <clears throat> not our place to judge. <clears throat> Matthew 7, anytime you mention judgment, you got to turn to this verse, I believe. Matthew 7 and verse number 1, Judge not that ye be not judged, for with the judgment ye judge, and ye shall be judged. <clears throat> and with the measure ye meet, it shall be measured unto you again. Why thou beholdest thou mote in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thy own eye. How wilt thou, <clears throat> O say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, the beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite. Think about it. James 4. James 4 and verse number 11. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if the judge, if thou judge the law, and thou art a doer of the law, but a judge, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is not, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judges another? Who art thou that judges another? That makes you feel pretty small when you read these. First Corinthians, four. First Corinthians four and verse number three. But with me it is very small thing that I should be judged of you, or by man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing of myself. Yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and that will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. 
And then shall every man have praise of God. We look at the situation from a different point of view. You don't know where people are coming from. You don't know where they're at. What's our relationship to God, brethren? How do we feel about it? Romans 2 and verse 1. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, man, whatsoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemneth thyself. And thou hast judgest, doeth the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God, according to the truth, against them which commit such things. And thinketh thou this, O man, thou judgest them which do such things, and doeth the same, and thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Do you believe that you're going to escape the judgment of God? How are we instructed in the situation to react to those? From another. Look up Colossians 2, 16-18. Not our ambition to pick each other apart. That's not the program. And then Luke 6, 37-38. What you give is what you're going to receive. Understand what all, all this is about. Have you ever in this situation, or, or seen it, uh, have you ever, I guess my, my question would be this way, have you ever made a statement or a judgment about somebody, and then a month or two down the road, it's, it's in your doorstep? God just handed it right back. You sit there and think to yourself, boy, next time? And then you do it again, and it's sooner, two weeks later? Pretty amazing, isn't it? Think God's not keeping score? Absolutely. It's kind of tough to control the tongue. Question number three, do we set the proper example? What makes us special? Proverbs 4. The book of Proverbs 4. As we get this into a close. Proverbs 4 and verse number 18. But the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more into a perfect day. And the way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not which what way they stumble. The path that we walk. You ever caught someone in a lie? And they keep digging? You want to do something more guilty? Believe that they're lying, and the truth eventually is shown to you. Ever been in either of those situations? We're not a judge. This situation, we need to set the examples. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verse number 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. But not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the world. Ye are the light in the world. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whosoever doth make manifest is light. You know, I look at this thing here and say this. When I was reading this, it came across me. I said, hmm, verse number 12. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. How do you think God views Hollywood? You see the picture? It's even a shame to speak of it. You think about how they bring certain things to play. How should we be? Philippians 2, verse 14. How should we be? Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of, sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. What makes you special, brother? What separates you? 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 2. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse number 2. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, 
as a travail upon a woman with child, that they escape not, shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are the all, the children of light and the children of day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. You are the example. Matthew 5 and verse 13 for the final verse of the day. Or at least here. Matthew 5 and verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Is it thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men? Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set upon a hill, cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and let it give light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Straightforward situation. Brethren, today I, I ask you in this situation why God chose you. What makes you special? He does. His power, His might, His Holy Spirit that's within you that actually stirs you to go the right way. That's what makes you special. God made you special. You can see the big picture where the world doesn't. You can see things where it can't. It's been given to you to discern the mysteries of his word. Theologians don't see it. Are you a doer that relates to you? Understand that. Are you a judge or don't be a judge? That relates to how you function to others. A lot to be said about the statement to the Pharisees. Do you set an example? That shows how your illustration relates to how others see you and actually see in this situation your tribute to what you should be giving a tribute to. When your light shines, it illustrates God's. All our requirements in this situation to overcome. What are we doing about it? What makes God pleased? Read it. What makes him pleased? Several sermons can be covered over that one issue. You know what it is. You understand the law. You've been given it. Final question of the day. You see your calling is special? What makes you special, brother?